Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Hope you're doing well. Since you just said it, it's well with you, so I hope you're doing well. Um, you can ask God for forgiveness later if you're not. And you say, <laughs> but um, We are in this series titled Remain in Love. If you've been here the last couple weeks, you know that. Um, and we're really just focusing on this command that God gives us through His Word, Old Testament and New Testament, about remaining in God. And that's love. God is love. And so it's remaining where God wants us to be, remaining in, in doing what God wants us to be doing, and, and, and just being with Him in His presence. And that's hard in this world. And there's many things that pull us from the presence of God, pull us from where God wants us to be. And, and sometimes it's just ourselves because we sometimes don't want to be where God wants us to be. And I mean, it's just, that's just honest. We have the sinful nature inside all of us. And we all wrestle with that about being obedient and trusting God. And so we've been seeing how, how to do this according to the scriptures is one is you gotta, we got to change our focus. We've got to focus not on the things going on in our life that may distract us from living a godly life and living a life that is pleasing to God, but to be focused on God and who He is. And we serve a God who is great and is awesome and can do anything. There's nothing beyond His abilities. And He cares for you as His, as his child, and He has His best for you. Now, that doesn't always mean money or riches or you always be healthy and things like that, but God is always with you. He's always faithful. And we saw a couple weeks ago about this abiding. The, the underlying purpose is that we bear fruit. You know, we are called now as Christians to represent Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. And to do that, we have to remain attached to Christ. Yeah, the word is like to cling to Him, to dwell, to lodge ourselves in Christ and who He is. Because Christ says that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Nothing. And so to be lodging him that we may bear fruit. And the Bible says when we bear fruit according to Christ, we actually prove that we belong to Jesus and we're his disciples. We perform as if he is our master and he is our Lord and he is our Savior because we're trusting him and, and, and we're abiding in him. Uh, this morning we're going to turn our way to the second epistle of John. Um, so that's second John. It's in the New Testament. Easiest way to do that is start from the back of the Bible and work your way to it. You'll go Revelation, Jude, 3 John, and then you'll come to 2 John. And as you make your way there, just to give us a little context about what is going on, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is written by the Apostle John. We can be sure of that because of the original language of Greek uh, that we find in the Gospel of John, which is the same guy, and what he writes in these three epistles. The difference between the Gospels and the Epistles is Epistles are letters directed particularly to either an individual or a group of people in which you're trying to give instruction. See, this, this particular Epistle, I believe 1st, 2nd, 3rd John were all written about the same time, probably about 90, 85, 90 A.D. Um, John is coming close to the end of his life. Um, he is believed to be one of the only of the original disciples who actually was going to die of an old age, though church history says he was burned in hot oil um, and just was deformed for the rest of his life. Um, but John is writing to groups of people through these epistles in order to give them instructions on how to live a life worthy of the calling of Christ. Um, during this time, John has seen a lot of cool things. First and foremost, he met Jesus Christ and he got to walk with him. Um, he got to see the, the crucifixion. He got to see the resurrection. He was one of the only two disciples who ran to the tomb that morning after the women came and reported the tomb was empty. He, he got to see Jesus ascend into the heavens, and then he got to see the Holy Spirit fall upon Christianity, and Christianity just explode. 
he's got to witness all these things in his life. And, and as he's going through this, what happened is Christianity started to explode, and then the Jewish and Roman world started to persecute. And so Christianity met heavy persecution. You can read through the book of Acts and see how this played out. It caused a lot of Christians and believers to leave Jerusalem in what is called the dispersion. Uh, the book of James deals with the dispersion, that they should count it all joy, my brothers, when you're persecuted. So Christianity, even though it was a difficult time and probably not what the Christians wanted, when, when persecution came, the church, which the hubbub was in Jerusalem at that time, exploded into the world. And so Christians went all about throughout the, the known world, someone as far as Africa, someone as far as Italy, and they took the message of Jesus Christ with them. The problem was in going and taking the message of Jesus Christ with them, there weren't really pastors in these places. And so they needed instruction. So we have these, these epistles and the letters of Paul. Matter of fact, the majority of the New Testament is written to people so they can understand how to live a Christian life in the world in which they find themselves in. And so John is writing his letters and saying, okay, now that you're out there and now that you're surrounded, now that Christianity is exploding where you are, that you need to have instruction on how to remain, how to abide in the teachings of Christ. And so in 2 John, if you're there, uh, there's only one chapter in 2 John. So we're going to begin in verse 7 and we're going to be focused on verse 7 through 9. So John writes, um, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, many deceivers have gone out into the world and they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And this is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so you don't lose what we have worked for, but you may receive a full reward. And anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching, but goes beyond it, does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. And so John is writing this world, this world of believers, and in particular, 2 John is written to a woman. We don't know the name of the woman. There's a lot of guesses on who this person is, but we don't know. God didn't want us to know. But if you look there in verse 1, it says, to the elect lady and her children, and we need to deal with that for a second. Whoever this woman was, she's making an impact for Christianity and is most likely a place where Christians would come in and have worship services. We have to keep in mind in John's day and in the New Testament, there was not church buildings. Uh, a church consisted of home churches, house churches. People would gather in homes, they would break bread, they would have fellowship, prayers, and they would get into the teachings, and then they would go out into the world. Only on certain occasions would they gather, these small house churches gather in large congregations, and that was typically in a Jewish synagogue or sometimes in a cemetery. Um, that's a whole other reason. But anyway, so the church didn't building didn't exist until about late 3rd, 4th century. So John is writing to this woman who's probably like the house church or the leader of the house church. And when he says the elect, we really need to do with that because it, it deals with some of the passage here we're looking at about going beyond. Because some people get kind of squirmish about this idea. What John is, is pointing to is something known as predestination. And I had an issue with predestination for the longest time until I came to understand the, the issue I had was, was not biblical and it was going beyond scripture. See, predestination says, is basically centered around the idea that God is all-knowing. 
We believe that. We believe God is all-knowing. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. We read in the Psalms that God knows everything about us. He knows all our thoughts. He knows the words where they come out of our mouth. He knew us when we were in our mother's womb. He knew us before we were in our mother's womb. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows when our life started, and He knows when our life is going to end. And the Bible says that all of our days, all of our years are but a mist, but a vapor to God, because God is eternal, and He knows all things. It speaks of His omniscience. Omni means all. Science is knowledge. So He's all knowledge. We believe that. That's, that's something we should believe. That's what the Bible points to. My, my issue with predestination argued against God's all-knowing. Because God cannot be all-knowing and not know who's going to be saved. You understand that? You, you can't say God is an all-knowing God and not know, and he not know who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. That is what predestination, what Paul was speaking about when he talks about predestination, that God foreknew and he predestined. God elects and chooses. Yes, that is true. But God reveals himself continuously to people, and people are given the choice whether to accept God into their life. But if you look in Scripture, God elected Abraham. Abraham wouldn't have left his family or his country or his place where he was comfortable with unless God called him out. You look in the New Testament. Jesus called the disciples. He called them to himself. In our own life, this is how it works. God calls out to us, and we are given the opportunity to either respond or not respond. But God's desire is that all people would be saved. Where people have taken this beyond the teachings of Christ and beyond the Scripture is they've gone to a place where they say, well, since God is all-knowing and God already knows who's going to be saved, I don't need to take an active part in sharing my faith. I don't need to take an active part in evangelism. But if we go back a couple of weeks ago, we see the very part of abiding in Christ and remaining in Christ is that we bear fruit according to Christ, meaning we are putting things off Christ so people can also come to God. And so predestination is not the excuse for us to say, well, I don't have to do anything because God already knows. Predestination is saying God is all-knowing. He knows who's going to be saved, but I, I don't. I don't. And I can't use God's all-knowledge, all all-knowing characteristic as an excuse for me not to be an active part as an ambassador and an evangelist and one sharing my faith. So when he writes elect, he's, it, it's a term of endearment that you have been elected by God. God picked you. Not that he doesn't want to pick others, but he picked you, and you know that now. And so what he's writing to this woman who is a believer and probably the, the house church, um, he's writing at this particular moment in time because there weren't as many preachers as there were house churches. That's why we have these letters, and that's why the letters were copied and sent on. And so he's writing to her that she needs to be aware that there are deceivers. If you look there in verse 7, there are deceivers who have gone out into the world. And what, what happens is all across the world you have these house churches in these cities and these places where Christians are gathering to worship and to, to get into the teachings and to break bread and have fellowship and pray. And so they wouldn't have a preacher per se. They would have a leader that would come and, and they would give them the word of God. And we see that in the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas and Timothy and John Mark and Apollos. These were men who went out into the world to take the word of Christ and to teach others. And sometimes they stayed for a while. Well, since these preacher teachers were traveling about, they would come to a city. They wouldn't live there. The house church would welcome them in. They would show hospitality. They would take the person in. They would give them a place to sleep, food to eat. They would take care of them while they're there, so they were feeding the flock. But the issue was, as Christianity expanded into the world and all these other religions in the world, people were coming to Christ, but they weren't leaving their past religions. 
They were, they were bringing their convictions from their pagan worship into Christianity and applying that to God. We saw that in, in philosophy with Rome. We see that in the thoughts of Greece and, and astronomy and all these things. They bring it into Christianity and it corrupts the teachings of Christ. So Paul's, or John is saying, look, these deceivers are going to come in and they're going to tell you something. And it may sound good, but you have to be aware they are not teaching Christ. They're going beyond that and they're deceiving you. And in particular, John is dealing with this issue that they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh there in verse 7. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's one of two things. One is what we see in, the, in Paul's writings where people have an issue with Jesus actually being the Messiah spoken of by the Old Testament. Paul has to deal with this a lot, that they don't believe that Jesus was the one that was, that was promised and he wasn't the one that God sent. And so Paul deals with that a lot in his writings. And that, that could be one thing that's going on. The other issue can be going on is something that people still struggle with today, maybe not here in this room, but the fact that Jesus was a man. That he was 100% man and 100% God. And the reason people have an issue with that is because if Jesus was 100% man and 100% God, then did he really have a choice when it goes to being the sacrifice for our sins? Didn't he have to be obedient? Didn't he have to go to the cross? Didn't he have to do that? Could he, would he really have been tempted? And so that's the issue people have, that he couldn't have been all of that, but instead he was something that God created who was obedient and did die and did rise again, but he was not a person. And in fact, this, this issue emerged in first century Christianity and didn't really get settled until probably the sixth or seventh century Christianity, where people were believing that Jesus and God were not equal. And so John may be dealing with that issue that he's saying, you know what, these people are coming in, they're preaching that either Jesus was not the Messiah promised by the Old Testament or they're preaching that Jesus is not on equal terms with God. And you have to be aware that these people are deceivers. They are in the same line as the Antichrist of the devil. And you have to flush them out. Here's the question for us. John is dealing with this issue about who you're inviting into your home. And for us, the question is, what are we inviting into our homes? What are we inviting into our lives? What are we allowing into our children's lives? What are we allowing into our, our husbands' or our wives' lives? What are we allowing to come into our homes? You may not have a preacher showing up at your house wanting to preach the Word. And you, I don't know if you let them in or not. I'll try it one day. Um, but you may not have that happening. But I guarantee you, when you turn on the TV, when you turn on the radio, when you get on the internet, when your kids get on their tablets or whatever electronic devices, you are inviting something into your house. And is it according to the scriptures or not? Because you're feeding your soul, you're feeding your heart. And John is saying there's a danger here, people. Because these things that pour into you, eventually they've got to come out, right? Garbage in, garbage out. And so these teachings, and this, this particular is dealing with false teachings, but I guarantee you there have been things that have come through your TV, through your radio, through your, your internet that have put false teachings and you have built convictions upon those teachings and you think they're biblical. And I see this in church all the time where, in, in particular, business meetings. Man, you want to see some unbiblical thinking, just go to a business meeting. By the way, we have one right after church today. So, uh, but, I mean, business meetings, that people have these strange convictions that it's biblical and it's doctrinal scripture, and they bring it out to make their stand. For example, I was in a, a business meeting about 15 years ago where the, one of the deacons stood up 
and said, you know what? We have to have democracy at church. God has given us democracy. It is the greatest gift of Christianity, and the Bible's all about democracy. And people sat there and they listened, and I'm, I'm all for democracy. But people sat there and listened. They said, amen, amen, brother, amen, brother. And I'm thinking, what? Show me the word democracy in the Bible. Show me where God goes to his people and say, hey, guys, what do you think? What should we do? Should we vote? Show me the place where Jesus asked his disciples whether or not they should stay in a place or go to a place. Now, I'm for democracy, but that's not Christianity. Christianity says God's in, in control. He's in charge. What he says we do, and we don't get to take it to a vote. You want to vote? Come to a business meeting, one after church. But we can allow these things to come out of our life that go beyond the teachings of Christ. And the problem in going beyond the teachings of Christ is we begin to have convictions that are unbiblical and ungodly. And so to remain in love and remain in God is to allow us to discern what is actually godly and ungodly. And I guarantee you've got some. And you may just say it like uh, as, a, as a whim or a joke. Man, I, I've been uh, at a church, uh, the last church we were at, I don't know what it was, but sometimes like the, the computer would stop working or the sound would sound funny and it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't work right or the lights would go off and like, like, like power goes out sometimes, right? But these things would happen. The computer wouldn't log in right or the soundboard was doing its own thing. So, oh, Satan's really at it today. I guarantee you Satan was not in the computer. He wasn't in a soundboard. I guarantee you Satan didn't like, well, you know, if we turn the lights off, they won't have church. But we can believe some of the stupidest things. Oh, Satan's really at it. Oh, I've had deacons. I've mentioned this before. Kendrick still gets on me. I had a deacon. We had a lot of stuff going on. We were sick and cars weren't working. I had a deacon said, man, what, what's wrong in your life that God is just bringing this stuff on you? That's unbiblical. That means if I, if it's saying that if I do the right thing, then I'm, I always should expect the right response. That's working. That's, that's me gaining merit from God, getting, gaining a, a grade from God. You know, we believe, you know, if you do good things, good things will happen. Tell that to Jesus. Tell that to Jesus. You know, Jesus, if you just live for God, man, God's going to bless you. Good things are going to happen. He went to a cross and bled out. Tell that to the prophets in the Old Testament. Tell that to Moses, who, who was leading a group of people trying to do the right thing. They didn't like him. He was hated. And yet we can buy into that. You know, if I just do the right thing, if I just do the good thing, then God's going to bless me. Everything's going to go well. I'll never get sick. You know, I'll never have large amount of bills. I'll never. That's so unbiblical, people then we can buy into this idea, you know, it really goes with the prosperity gospel. That's what it is. But show me the verse where God says he's worried about your bank account. It's easy to preach a prosperity gospel when you're living in prosperity. But people flock to these celebrity preachers. Some of them preach biblical and some of them preach unbiblical. Here's the key. If you can listen to a preacher, speaker, for 30, 40 minutes, and they never open their Bible, they never read a passage of Scripture, they may tell some great stories, they may be very professional in their appearance, but it, 
it, it's, there's, there's barely any mention of God. Except for in their opening, oh, God bless you. That individual believes their words have more authority and power than the word of God. That's, that, that's going beyond Scripture. And we have to, as God's people, be able to discern when someone is speaking God's word and someone isn't. And we have to be able to discern when something is godly and of Scripture and it isn't. And how do we do that? We have to remain in the Christ's teaching. Look there in verse 9. Remain in Christ's teaching. And he says, anyone who does not goes beyond, goes beyond it, goes beyond the teachings of Christ and does not have God. The message this morning is real simple. What are you, what am I, what are we allowing into our homes that is preaching ungodly things to our heart? What convictions do we have in this life that, that aren't biblical? And the, the church, man, the church can be bad at this. Some of y'all grew up in Southern Baptist churches. By the way, this is Southern Baptist church, you didn't know. But some of y'all grew up in Southern Baptist churches. There was a time where the church's motto was not love God, love people, but don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, don't play cards. And that was what they preached. And it drove people away. Because there, you, you, see, you say, don't dance. Well, David danced to the point he was almost a streaker. <laughs> you say, don't drink. Well, Jesus turned water to wine. Don't smoke. Well, there's not a whole lot of smoking in the Bible, but and we're happy. <laughs> <laughs> don't play cards. Well, casting lots is kind of like rolling dice. And so the church made all these rules and these regulations about what you shouldn't do as a Christian. If you do those things, then you're not a Christian. And that's what they preached. And you know what they did? They drove people away from Christ because they went beyond the teachings of Christ. And so that happened in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And then now what the church is doing is they're, they're going to the other end. So, well, we've got to be welcoming of everybody. We've got to love everybody. We have to, you know, bring everybody in. And we can't judge people for where they are, what they're doing in life. And yes, there is some truth to that. But the reality is, is that God wants to change people. And so, yes, we should love people who, who aren't living Christian as Christians and who don't know Christ. We should love them. But the reality is, is God doesn't save us to leave us in that spot. He doesn't save us so we continue in sin. And so we, we can't, we be accepting of them, but we, the reality is we cannot accept the sinful lifestyle. And then we have these conviction statements. Well, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by grace. And that's true, you are saved by grace, but grace isn't given to you or me so I can continue in sin. Say, so, well, you know, preacher, you know, it's just the way I am. It's just the way I am. What a, what a statement to, to speak about God's power. This is just the way I am. I'm probably not going to change now. You're saying that God has no power to change your heart, yet he's an all-powerful God? Well, who are you to tell me what to do? You ever heard that one? Well, sure, we're not supposed to judge one another, but the reality is as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to keep each other accountable. As a preacher, 
I'm, I've been called by God without a doubt in my mind because I've fought it all the way. And you called me here as your preacher, as your shepherd. And so I'm going to feed you the word of God. And sometimes you and I are not going to like to hear it, but I do it because God loves us and God wants to move us from this place to where he wants us to be. And if we are believing unbiblical things going beyond the teachings of Christ, then all we're going to do is we're going to stay where we are instead of where God wants us to be. So we have to remain. We have to remain in his scripture. So if you hear something come out of my mouth and like, I don't know if that's right, please. Maybe not like in the middle of the message, but find me. I had that happen once too. But... It was at a revival. A revivalist was preaching, and he was preaching on tithing. Money. And we get very defensive about money. You can't tell me I spent... Well, anyway. So he's preaching on tithing, and about 20 minutes into the message, the head deacon, head deacon, stands up and says, well, you don't know what's going on here, and you can't tell us how to do our stuff, to the revival preacher in the middle of his message. So please don't do that. It was very awkward for everyone there. But this man thought he was right. This deacon thought he was right. He actually went to that revival preacher when he finally finished. By the way, the altar was flooded, not because of what the deacon said. He went to that revival and says, you know, that was me that spoke up. We're all like, yeah, we saw you. But see, if we get to a place where this is the way I am and, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to change or, you know, I don't want to do that, then we're going to start buying in convictions that God can't really do anything in my life and God can't really tell me what to do with my life or how I should be living my life, let alone a preacher or anybody else. And we were basically saying that Jesus is not my Lord. I am. Because Lord implies Master commander means he's in charge he's in control and if god can't work with your heart and move you from false convictions to true convictions then you're saying you're in charge still and jesus doesn't want to just be your savior he wants to be your lord and savior and john is telling this woman you have to be aware because anyone who goes beyond these teachings anyone who has these false beliefs anyone that doesn't hold to the things of god cannot remain in god and that's a scary thought so again, the question this morning for us as believers is, what are you allowing into your life? What are you allowing into your home? What are you allowing into your, your heart? Is it the things of God? I'm not saying you've got to stop watching certain TV shows or whatever, thing, but we've got to know what, what is biblical and what's not biblical so we can begin to discern things through the lens and view of God. You may be here this morning, and you're just kind of checking this whole thing out. You know, what, what is church? What is Christianity and all that? The reason we remain in love is because God loves us. It's not to prove ourselves to God. It's not to gain a golden star when we get to heaven. It's, it's just God loves us, and so we want to remain and know more about this God who loves us. And if you're here and you're just checking Harvest Hill out or Christianity about, out or, or what church is or whatever, you need to know that God loves you. He loves you. He knows everything about your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows it all. There's not a thing in your life that's hidden from him. 
and He loves you. So if you've got something in your life and you think, well, that's, I, I, that's why I can't be saved. That's why I can't accept Christ my Lord and Savior because I've got this stuff. And if that preacher knew what I had in my life, man, he wouldn't be asking me to accept God's love for me. You don't need to worry about me or anybody else. You just need to know God knows you and He loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. All that junk you may have in your life, Jesus took it upon Himself. He, he, he allowed God to blame Him for you and my sin, our mistakes. And God, the cross is God unleashing His wrath upon sin, on His Son. And God extends this gift. He says that I love you so much that if you accept this gift I've given you, this gift of salvation, this gift of righteousness, this gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness, you don't have to do anything to, to earn it. You just, you just have to accept it. And if you would accept this gift, you would be saved. You'd be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You'd become a child of God. You're, you're an heir to the kingdom of God. You'd have promised eternal security. And God is holding out this invitation. If you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, today's the day. You know, I've heard this a lot, you know. Well, you know, preacher, I just, I'll do that further down the line. I just got to get some things figured out and some things fixed out. Here's the, the truth of God's word. You aren't promised further down the line. You aren't. You aren't promised you're going to make it to whatever you're having for lunch today. This is the moment. And God extends his invitation. If you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, this is the moment that God wants you to be in and say, you know what? I want Jesus. I want to be saved. Does it mean you have to have it figured out? No. Does it mean you have to know everything about the Bible? No. But you do need to know God loves you. God loves you. If you need to accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to be down here this morning. Just come down and say, Mike, I want Jesus in my life. I want to be saved. Man, we'll celebrate with you, pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that you've been having some unbiblical convictions and thoughts and you just need to lay that at the feet. You just need to let those things go and get into the teachings of what God actually says about your life and about the government and about people and about just everything dealing with your life, what God says, not what you think. However you are this morning, we're going to come to time invitation. We invite the worship team to come back up. Now's the time to respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for guiding and leading us and convicting us. And Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Father, you know I've had some things in my life that, that have not been biblical, that have not been truth, that have gone beyond the teachings of Christ. And I've allowed people to pour thoughts and convictions and, into my life that are not of you. And so, Lord, personally, I'm just praying right now that you help me to just get deeper into your word, to understand how I should be living, how I should be perceiving, how I should be acting and loving and, and just doing this life, Lord, that I would be so aligned with your will that I'd be remaining in your teachings. And Father, I pray that for everyone here this morning. Lord, we all have stuff we bring to you that is not worthy of you. It's not holy. And Father, we want to come as a church and as your people to lay those things down that we would just remain in your teachings. We would remain in your word. That those things that are unbiblical, we would just get out. That we would be so connected to you that we would prove that we are your disciples. Father, I thank you for what you're doing here at Harvest Hill. I thank you for what you're doing in the people's lives. I thank you for what you're going to do in the future through us. Not for Harvest Hill's sake, but for your glory. Father, I pray for the parents right now. 
of their kids. Lord, it's so easy to let stuff into our life with phones and tablets and the computer. I pray for the parents to have courage just to begin weeding out that stuff that doesn't need to be there. That you would protect our kids' hearts and their minds. That you would give them a desire to pursue after you and to know you more and help us as parents to be the model that they see that. That they see us living godly. Father, we come this time to respond. And I pray for the individuals here this morning that know they're not safe. Maybe they've been trying to work hard enough to, to get it. Maybe they've been trying to clean things out, Lord, but the reality is you call them right now, just as they are, to come and accept your love. So let us respond appropriate here. Let us respond in acts of love and acts of worship as we come again to your throne room of grace. And forgive us if we failed you in any way in any time if we've been in your word this morning. Praise on your son's name.